Hi everyone, Sam here with a quick message before this week's episode. My new book is called Sort Your Head Out, Mental Health Without the Bollocks, and it's out on February the 9th. It's available to pre-order now in hardback, Kindle edition, or audio book, narrated by me. You can get it at Waterstones or Amazon or any local bookshop. If you'd like a signed, dedicated copy though, go to my website at samdelaney.co.uk. Your support, as ever, is massively appreciated. On with this week's show. Hello and welcome to The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. I'm Sam Delaney. My guest this week is the journalist and broadcaster Gordon Smart. Gordon started out in local newspapers in Scotland before moving to The Sun in London, where he was deputy editor before becoming editor of The Scottish Sun when he was still in his 30s. Since then, he's become a very familiar voice on the radio, from Radio X to Talk Sport to BBC Five Live. And more recently, he's guest-hosted Good Morning Britain on ITV. Gordon's successful career has been fast-paced, at times very exciting, at times a bit chaotic, and sometimes overwhelming. I thought we might have a lot in common, and when we met in London last week, it turned out I was right. Gordon is a great bloke, who's very funny, but very reflective and insightful too. And I really enjoyed meeting him and finding out more about his amazing career. Apologies in advance for the sound on this episode, which, to be honest, is a bit all over the place. You should be able to hear it absolutely fine. It's just that I recorded it in a large echoey room with a mic that turned out to be iffy. Oh, well, never mind. I hope you enjoy the show. Gordon, welcome to The Reset. So that appeared to be... This is a ramshackle fucking operation. It is, I was expecting to come into a glossy, shiny floor studio. Mate, usually you're fucking honoured to even be sat in, in the same room as me. Every other fucking guest I think practically ever has just been on a really bad Zoom connection. So this is as professional as it gets. Well, the Zoom connection I have in Scotland is like some fucker with a tin can and a bit of string attached to the back legs of a horse that connects. Yeah, to be fair, you weren't weren't very supportive of the Scottish infrastructure when I suggested doing this over Zoom. Absolutely no option whatsoever. But I should big up our venue, actually. We were at the Two North Down, uh, which is like a live studio space in London's King's Cross and they've kindly allowed us to record this here today. So it is a bit ramshackle, but, Love you it, know, it's, it's nice of them. Makes me feel a wee bit nervous because it looks like one of those work-in-progress comedy gigs. It is, it? yeah. Which is the most intimate, soul-bearing venue ever. Yeah, it's yeah, where, people, where you can see the whites in their yes. eyes. But it's just me and you, mate. Yes. And I have to apologise as well because you've probably thought we've been we've we've been having the most um, brilliant and honest heart to heart for a good fucking twenty minutes, during which you thought I was going, nah, don't do that. I think that's unfair. But it would have been good. We missed a lot of stuff. But seeing as we've got so far, we might just dive into where we were. I mean, we were talking about we've had similar careers in yeah. journalism yeah. and um, and and broadcasting. And uh, and I suppose that that's an interesting place to start because you were saying now that kind of life, you know, you're a very senior editorial figure at The yeah. Sun for many years, really can take its toll in lots of different ways, right? Yeah, I had to get out. There's no two ways about it. 2016, I finally pulled the plug. And I'll tell you what it happened, actually. Well, there's a number of reasons, and some of it I can't go into because of restricted covenant clauses and all the rest right. of it. But I was on holiday with my family, and it took me a long run-up to, to decide to leave because I was kind of institutionalised. I've worked mm. there since I was 22, 23. And at that point, I was 36. I'd done three years editing the Scottish Sun and nearly a year as deputy editor of mm. the English Sun. So I've been through the independence referendum, followed closely by Brexit. Mm. I was living in London away from my family. I had a wife and two kids in Scotland. And it just got too much for me, Sam, because um, I was on holiday, like you said, I think it was in October holidays of that 2016, 
and my wee boy came up to me crying and went, Dad, Dad, a guy in a football strip pushed me in the pool because you worked for a bad newspaper. And he was, I think he was six at the time. And I went, which kid? And he went, the guy in the Liverpool strip. And I was like, oh, fuck, here we go. So I ended up having an argument with a fella from Liverpool about this. So it was his kid who'd pushed his kid, a 14 year So you went 14, and spoke to the dad. Kid. Fuck so I got a grip of the lad, he said, where's your old man? And he went, yeah, fucking. You know. yeah. And I was like, you know what, mate? I was nine when it happened. And what yeah. the paper wrote was fucking despicable. And a lot of the papers were despicable. And if you think for a second that I would in any way vouch or stand by what shite was written about what happened then, yeah. then you've got another thing coming. But what benefit does it serve? to a six-year-old Scottish laddie and his dad who was nine when that happened. I can't do anything about it. In my time at the paper, I've apologised four times mm-hmm. and I just thought, you know what, I can't apologise for this anymore. And as I, was, I got punched in the face in the pub for working for The Sun one day. Fucking he's out in the whopping. He went, he, I was walking to the toilet and the guy said to me, he said, you're a fucking job from his son, innit? And I went, yeah, I am, yeah. And he said, we're paying for your fucking junky family's prescriptions, you can't. Fucking barnet formula, mate. We're fucking paying for them all in fucking smack. And I went, well, you don't mind when we're spilling our blood in Afghanistan and Iraq, do you, you fucker? Yeah. Bang. Punches me. Wallet now. And I was like, you know, it's it's weird. The sun's kind of like Mrs. Brown's boys, right? Nobody admits to buying it or watching it, but millions of people who do. Yeah. And for everybody that gives you shite for it, you don't find people coming riding to your defence to say. Right, actually, no, that's that's very true. Yeah, it's been seven years, and you're the same, right? Seven years since I worked there, six years, and it kind of still feels like I, on a daily basis, have to say to somebody, I no, I don't rake through bins and I don't hack phones, I Mm. promise you, I'm a decent guy. Mm. And it does get a wee bit tiresome, you know, even people that I work with, I love dearly, will remove any reference to me working there on, on work-related stuff because it just causes aggravation. And Listen, it's, it's given me an incredible life, same as you have. You've done amazing things and you wouldn't have had those experiences if it wasn't for that job. You know, I earned, earned a good living. You know, I was so skint when I started working there, I can't even begin to tell you how skint I was. I was working as a fucking janitor and a football coach and playing really shit football in London. Mm. So, you know, when you suddenly find yourself earning good dough working for the biggest tabloid newspaper, you don't question the ethics, do you? Nah. You, you know that you're going to pay the bills at the end of the month. And, um, yeah, it's a weird one because I've tried to kind of reinvent myself working on the radio and it's hard work, man, because it's a taxi rank, isn't it? You need somebody to get off before you get in yeah. on radio or telly. Yeah. And I'm now probably earning less than I've earned in 25 years working harder with a bigger audience and, yeah. uh, you know, you can't complain because a lot of people are feeling the pressure at the moment. But it is a bit odd when you're on the radio talking about the cost of living crisis and recession. When I'm thinking, "Fuck, how am I going to keep paying the bills?" You know, you're not going to ever get much sympathy for any job you do in the no. media. But also, it's just like, yeah, of course, it's it can it appears to be glamorous. It's definitely a lot of fun, that's for sure. It's not fucking boring like most jobs. But as a result of that, when you go through the natural human emotions that anyone goes through in, in any fucking line of work you're less likely than the average person to yeah. receive any fucking sympathy for it so true. and that's the thing like, I'm not looking for sympathy because we did a lot of things and I did a lot of things that I regret right? mm. stories that I wish I hadn't done I hadn't been involved in but I was also in my 20s and plugged in the biggest amplifier and speakers you could do yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. I think also because of social media which kicked in when I was the showbiz editor 2006-2007 really you're suddenly really accountable for everything you do yeah. so you know that, that is 
And that's a good thing. It's a really good thing. But at yeah. the same time, like you say, I still do quite a lot of media training for people and I always say, if Mother Teresa was on Twitter, somebody would be saying she had shit shoes. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's yeah. Like, that's a great line. It's yeah. so true, isn't it? People yeah. are just fucking malicious and horrible. But I remember my dad, he's a GP, and my, my big brother's a dentist. I was a tabloid journalist at the time, and I've got a younger brother. And I remember he kind of flippantly said one day, he said, well, I've got a dentist, a tabloid journalist, can't wait for my son to finally be jailed for murder <laughs> to complete the trilogy and it, it was funny but you know my brother I think it's actually culturally now people are really comfortable being rude so yeah. you, I don't know if you've noticed it but I find myself in company where people say oh you're an accountant that must be really boring Yeah. and I feel like saying you know what fuck you Yeah. because that's not an acceptable thing to say somebody, Yeah. especially not with a payoff I'm just saying uh. you know if I'm sorry, I'm not buying it. Opinions are really problematic and they're too prevalent. And I'm pretty sure that opinions didn't fucking used to have... I mean, if you look at even... I think, you know, if you look at newspapers or just the media in general, right, the money has dropped out of all of these things, particularly print newspapers, to such a huge degree. So they can't report or Mm. or do as much journalism as they used to. But what's really cheap is opinion because every fucker's got one. So suddenly... I guess, you know, there might have been, what, 10% at the most of, a, of an issue at The Sun, for instance, that would have actual direct yeah. opinion. I mean, you could argue that the news stories were editorialised, but actual opinion, some fucker with their picture at the top of a column saying, this is what I think about that, that was one small part of most newspapers. Yeah. Yeah. Then, I think because the, the, the arse fell out of it, of print media, and they can't afford to invest in as much, they just said, fill the fucking pages with everyone. And then social media thinks... This is the best marketing. Not only is it cheap, it's sensational marketing because all we need is a fucker to say something ludicrous and we will be everywhere. And that made opinions so fashionable and it sort of almost trained a generation of people, whether they're in the media or not, looking at that stuff trained a generation of people to think that opinion was currency and you felt duty-bound to fucking have a, a big, controversial, provocative opinion on fucking everything. Well, you put your mind back, right? Say 20 years sitting on an editorial floor and a journalist brought you a story about vegan sausage rolls. Mm. I can't imagine you'd get too excited about that. (laughs) But because of the nature of opinion journalism and characters like Piers, Piers Morgan, that became a huge story. And then there's this bit of technology called Parsley that uh, I think the Sun still use it actually to measure the most popular stories and what people are really engaging with and talking about digitally Mm. and in print but mainly digitally, and it was always an opinion. It was always, mm. somebody has said this about that. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like a traditional exclusive, and actually you would be horrified by the news agenda. If you followed that insight and segmentation, right, yeah. and, and delivered a newspaper based on that, yeah. it would be the most obscure shit on the front page ever. It would be like yeah. Dr. Pimple Popper. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, really obscure stories about big willies and it's, it's all di- sorts of It's nonsense. disheartening. Did you just going back to Anson and Holiday? Was it specifically that moment? No, that, was the, you that was the straw that broke the cam- camel's back. Yeah. Because you know there, there had been other incidents. Like a guy who worked for me in Scotland had been attacked with acid by gangsters, and the guy went to jail for attempted murder. And the fellow who was attacked was the crime reporter who worked for me, and right. he subsequently wrote a book about it. And he's now a conservative politician in Scotland. Um, but that was horrendous because suddenly you're like, this isn't writing about Beyonce or interviewing mm. Rihanna or mm. you know getting sent to do a caught live of yeah. a band that you love or interviewing One Direction. Suddenly, yeah. somebody has been 
where somebody has tried to kill a member of your staff. Yeah. And there's no gloss you can put on that horrendous nah. situation. And you know, Scotland's a very different place and culturally, I think, when it comes to stuff like the media, because you have to be really careful with the old firm, for instance. Mm. You know, you, 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 really tough. You know, this hard people mm. don't threaten you. They, mm. they, they give you a hiding. And you know, there was some really scary stuff that happened to me with gangsters that, again, don't really feel comfortable going into. But it made me think, why am I? Why am I doing this? I love my family and my kids, and I want a good life. Yeah. What's the trade-off here? And I was deeply, deeply unhappy. And also because you become the boss, you become more isolated and more lonely. Mm. Um, especially, I loved being part of a big team of folk. I love the camaraderie of an office yeah. in a newsroom and yeah. having a laugh with folk. And I think we built a really nice culture around the bazaar column with some good people, yeah. which might shock folk who don't read the sun, but I actually had a really nice bunch who yeah. worked in that column who are still deep, really good friends with. And then I thought, well, maybe my job in tabloid newspapers is to make things a bit different and we'll try and get rid of that terrifying culture. But then you suddenly realise it's a juggernaut that you can't turn around and when you're the boss, you know, you, you are on your own and you can't be one of the lads. You yeah. can't have a laugh. You can't, you've got to be really careful about who you open up to. And somebody gave me a great bit of advice and said, see when you're the boss going, you can't complain about how tough you're finding it because you're getting paid the fucking yeah. proper deal. Yeah. And it was so true. Yeah. And I, I'd commuted quite a distance to Glasgow because I didn't want to be living in Glasgow for all the reasons I mentioned. Mm. And that commute was so destroying, man. Sitting on the M8 in the car, and I listen. I love my music, so I'd be listening to Six Music in the morning. Mm. Um, Sean Keaveney and Lauren Laverne, and then on the way home, I'd listen to the Monday Night Club on Five Live and think, "That's what I want to be doing." Yeah. And I'd go in, and you know what it's like when you're in a senior editorial position. I reckon twenty percent of it's journalism, eighty percent of it's HR, mm. political manoeuvring, yeah. trying trying to put out fires yeah. solving problems dealing with massive issues that you never it's see all the, it's all the opposites mm. of why you even were interested in being yeah. in a creative job yeah. in the yeah. first place basically yeah. you're doing the opposite of that it's quite like football where I think people get jobs because they're, they were good footballers like case in yeah. point Frank Lampard yeah. you know good player he's actually a really articulate dude but yeah. he might I could think of six or seven other people that were in his team that would probably be better managers because they weren't the best players. Yeah. And in journalism, you get promoted because you break stories and you're you're good. At, I think I was pretty good at managing people. Yeah. <clears throat> and I was 32 when I was editor of the Scottish Sun, and you know I looked around the back bench of the people I was working with, and they were all guys you know later on in life who thought I was a wee prick from London who didn't know my arse from my elbow. Mm. <clears throat> and actually, you know, with proper openness and having a good mea culpa with you. I had massive flaws and gaps in my ability to be an editor. Mm. But that's when you surround yourself with good folk that can do that. Yeah. But I think, you know, you have to have a certain level of cunt in you to be a good tabloid editor. And I think yeah. my cunt quota was a wee bit too low to really yeah. survive and succeed. There are moments like that in journalism where you just think, oh, right, I've reached my cunt level. <laughs> like, and and I, can't, I literally can't... Se- Sometimes yeah. you surprise yourself and think, oh, I didn't realise I was capable of being that much of a cunt, but I am. And you're sort of like, yeah. you find yourself so gaslit by yeah. the industry you're working in, you sort of think, oh, that's quite good, I didn't realise I had that in me. And then another day you hit a moment yeah. and you're like, oh, fuck, I just can't do this. Because that's my question for you. At what age did you think you were truly comfortable in your own skin and thought, I'm quite content with this person? Like... Certainly in my 40s. Yeah. Like, See, there you go. See, yeah. the, and same as me, I had all those jobs where I was still trying to work out who I was, what I stand for, what my mm. values really are, how to exist in that, where my position was in the world. Mm. And at the same time, and it's not often talked about, 
I got I got married really young, right? And mm. man, that was important to me was having a good, happy home life and being mm. a good dad. And you suddenly realise that the balance is tilted massively in the wrong direction. And um, when that stuff starts to suffer, you really can't concentrate on what's paying the bills. And you uh, know, twenty sixteen, my the equation of my life. You know, if you I think Matthew McConaughey talks about it like these thirteen pillars of life that support a table, and if certain elements of them aren't respected, then the table tilts and everything falls off. Yeah. I think I probably had nine or ten that were fucked. Yeah. Three strong pillars. Yeah. And then you think, ah, this isn't sustainable. And you know, because you've been through it, the, the levers are your health, your mental health, yeah. your physical health. You know, you, you really do start to deteriorate and uh, you've got to make a big and bold decision. But, you know, doing that, you have to make sure that there's a plan B. You can't mm. just say fuck it I've had enough and, and strop out mm. and I found I actually found the coverage of uh, Jacinda I was going to bring that up just as you said it I thought that was really interesting well, to me yeah. it was really interesting like some some of the right wing commentary from people I thought would know better were kind of like piling into her mm. and I actually thought fair play to you you know you've, you've, you're a young woman a mum Mm. who's trying to hold it together under huge pressure and political circumstances the world hasn't really seen since wartime. Yeah. And if she's had enough, she's had enough. All power to her for making that decision. Totally agree. I looked at it and I thought, this is the power of quitting is something that I think is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. The power of just walking away quitting and not necessarily feeling the need to offer an explanation. Yeah. You have your own fucking needs. Yeah. And I thought, there is a woman who's done, to my mind, a good job but it's now just like that's it I'm done there's not a big I haven't got a scandal to tell you about yeah. I haven't there's nothing big beyond the fact that I've now I've had enough of this time, yeah. and I'm going to go yeah. and I've quit jobs before probably not as calmly as her probably a lot of the jobs I've quit I did do in a state of kind of high emotion but nevertheless I was doing them because ultimately I realised I was really unhappy yeah. and people never can believe it if you quit a big job people go so what happened? And you go, I quit. Yeah. They go, why? And you go, I just didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. And they go, why? why? Like that. Yeah. But that's I mean, that's got, the culture we live in, you know. It's a great point as well. And it's, again, it's, it's always a little bit vulgar to talk about money, but the financial decision for me to leave after 15 years, it wasn't a simple, uh, mm. thank you very much for your time, young man. Mm. You know, I was walking away from financial security and the safety and and well-being of my family for the rest of their days. Yeah. So for me to say to my wife, look, I need, I need to do this, and she was so supportive of it. Yeah. But, you know, in lockdown, when I lost my voice, lost my entire income, was probably weeks away from having to sell the house. Wow. You suddenly think, what the fuck did I do that for? Was I just too soft? Did I need to just have a wee bit more mm. resilience in, in a difficult situation and put up with people calling me a prick for working for the sun? Was I just too sensitive? But then you can't, you, you know, you, that's all done, it's in the past, and you can't re- relive those things. And, and I'm a massive believer in just working bloody hard, and if you get your head down, you it should come good. That's true, but all I would say is to that is, I mean... You know, you you I I really feel you when you go, Oh, maybe I should have been tough enough. I should have been tougher. The worst thing that I think a lot of blokes do, it comes up all the time on this podcast, and it's certainly true of me, is you beat yourself you feel bad. Yeah. You're not having a good time, you're not happy. Yeah. But on top of that you compound it by sort of hating on yourself for yourself that. You're, you're not good you enough, think right? you are you, this is pathetic. Look at your job. 
right? So in your case, it's like, look at this fucking job. I'm like, I'm really young, but, I, you know, I'm editing the fucking, the, one of the biggest newspaper brands in the world. This is, and yet I'm moping about it. I'm, like, I'm not happy. I don't feel like I can do it. I'm going to walk away from money that is putting food on my kid's table. Yeah. And then you just hate on yourself. And that's, yeah. the, that's when it goes from just a bit, you're feeling sad yeah. to it being really quite dark. And then when you start judging yourself, yeah. bullying yourself, being mean about yourself. And I think that the liberating thing, going back to old Jacinda in New Zealand, is when you just think, there's only one priority, mm-hmm. and that's me. Yeah. and me my mental health and me being in a good state because forget how much money I'm earning yeah. or anything else I can't be a really good dad yeah. or a really good husband or son or yeah. mate or anything unless I'm really looking after myself so true. it's fascinating thinking about this because I had this great editor uh, called Carly Cook who I wrote Vinnie Jones book right his, his autobiography well his biography mm. and uh, she used to write in the margin show not tell <clears throat> because right. Vinnie would say I was fucking double hard when I was at Leeds, but I never got fucking booked. Yeah. And she'd write in the margin, well, give us an example. So I'd sit and quiz him and say, well, come on, tell us. Yeah. He's like, well, I nearly broke the, the ball boy's leg one day because <laughs> I two-footed him on the sideline. I'm like, right, that doesn't make you hard, Vinny. That makes you... <laughs> a bullet. <laughs> so we, we go through all that, but it really made me think because if you really add the detail to the story of what happened to us in our careers, mm. you start to understand a wee bit more about it so to give you an example I remember sitting on the back bench with a brilliant journalist called Mike Kernan mm. and, and Mike was a really talented guy and it was a really stressful time and he was an older guy liked the fag bad mm. diet classic West of Scotland mm. kind of character and he went at like at 10 o'clock one night he looked at me and said can you do CPR? <laughs> and I was like yeah I'd be pretty comfortable if somebody yeah. he went right great and I was like why Mike? he went no no reason and anyway, he went and had a heart attack in a car park about no. an hour and a half later yeah. he, and his lips had gone blue and he, he ended up having open heart surgery and I was like fuck fucking so, and that's just a small yeah. example you know in the two and a half three years I was in Glasgow I saw the Clutha helicopter crash I was one of the witnesses to yeah. that where you know nine people died or I think it was nine and then shortly after that the bin lorry tragedy happened literally on the doorstep of the Sun office so on Queen Street right uh, bin lorry driver, heart attack at the wheel, killed six people. Yeah. And I was at the pantomime with my son when it happened. One of my mates in the office said, you better, you better get in, something horrific's happened. So I've walked around with my laddie and there were bodies strewn across the street before they'd even put the um, tarpaulins over. Fucking and I thought, yeah. that's quite a big thing to go through. Then you've got the, the drama and the stress and the pressure of the referendum. And then I, I've moved down to London um, and remember Joe Cox no, her yeah, murder happened yeah, and yeah. it was a really toxic time to be involved in the tabloid press yeah. and I had a couple of really ferocious people hassling me like, personally like to, to an extent it was quite scary right. and like you say the acid attack happened yeah. and you know you add all those things up if you you know working in any other industry and you explain those those, those moments you yeah. know, that, that's quite a lot for a person to deal with Yeah. and incidentally like when I left Bizarre I had two kids under three I was 30 31 32 years old and I'll never forget the circumstances of me moving back to Scotland I'd gone on a massive bender with Noel Gallagher mm. and uh, it was looking back on it it was a, it was a proper um, self-destruct moment right because I had said to the editor and by the way I'd gone through the Leveson inquiry there were three criminal inquiries where yeah. you know, all of our emails were handed over to the police yeah. and there was an investigation in the standards and practices and ethics of the paper I gave oral evidence all of that yeah. stuff 
you know, a documentary maker made a film about journalism at the Sun and yeah. singled me out for abuse and all that kind of stuff. He subsequently went to jail, by the way, for being a, a fraudster. So all this shit was going on, and um, I, when I left to go back to Scotland, I had that massive night out, and I woke up lying in my pants in my bedroom in London with an next-door neighbour knocking on the window saying, are you all right? Wow. And I looked at my phone, I had like 180 missed calls from... Rupert's PA and the editor Shit. and where the fuck are you you were meant to be in having a really serious conversation and I've turned up leathered wow and uh, I remember the boss saying this isn't acceptable Gordon and I said well look I've been saying to you for two years that I'm too old to be doing this job and it was time for me to do a more senior more sensible thing yeah. but for me to get stories against the climate of what people think in the newspaper the only way I can deliver them is by going out later than everybody else and getting yeah. involved in a world of mischief and getting more shit-faced than everyone and being out last. And incidentally, I had a front-page front story from that night out. Right. So I said, look, do you want a front-page story for tomorrow that I've got from getting on with Russell Brand and yeah. all that, or don't you? And uh, anyway, I remember getting a dressing down from a, a member of staff in HR and I had this outer-body moment where I <laughs> realised I was pointing at this individual saying a fucking other thing right is it under the rules of HR safe for me to go out and pish five nights a fucking week to deliver fucking and just saw the tears rolling down the face and they thought uh, this is totally inappropriate and unacceptable yeah. and I need a proper look at myself and like I love football and being fit and being healthy and I, you know I was drinking lunchtime dinner next day lunchtime dinner yeah. next day Guinness red bottles of red wine finishing the night with whiskies Fucking and everyone, and also people love to celebrate the fact that I was this hard drinking, yeah. fast living Scottish madman. Yeah, yeah. And so then, then that becomes your identity, and you identity. don't want to let go of yeah. that. Yeah. But then you want to shake it off because you want to be seen as a cerebral, sensible, ethically yeah. engaged, wise father of children yeah. who actually has a lot more to him than fannying about with rock stars and trying yeah. to get stories right. So that's quite a big stage: is that evolution and development of your life in your thirties. And then suddenly to turn 40, 41 and 42 in lockdown, having an existential crisis about your entire yeah. existence, trying to forge a new career and, and be successful. And everyone's like, oh, you're doing great. And I'm thinking, fucking hell, I'm really pushing in the wind here. You've got no idea. Yeah. Um, but again, that's why it's nice to speak to somebody like you, because your book's basically... Yeah, that. it covers a lot of... There's a lot of similar territory. And there is that feeling, you're right, where you're... It's like a duck because on the surface people go oh you're doing well yeah. but under the fucking water your legs are going yeah. at 100 miles per hour just to stay afloat yeah. let alone fucking yeah. move forward yeah. and it can be it can be really really fucking tough and yeah. like my the only the biggest difference for the, that I've made was I changed my perspective I thought you can't you can't ever fucking change the world you can't yeah. change the way that the industry we work in is mm. really you can't you know, you, you can't change the fact that there'll be wankers on social media or people <laughs> yeah. giving you shit. You can only really change your perspective on what yeah. you care about yeah. and what fucking bothers you. What, you know what, what I mean? get through? I mean, listen, you could get into the nuts and bolts of stuff like NLP and all that, but there are some really sensible messages in there. Like you, you can only really pay attention to the thoughts that you're prepared to pay attention to. Yeah, there's a. I admire people who have the ability to compartmentalise that mm. aspect of their personality because mm. I think there is a lot of nature in this rather than nurture and that I think my mum is a warrior and yeah. I've definitely inherited a bit of that yeah. but then the flip side of that is my dad's got this sort of wild streak in him that is definitely mm. in me that mm. he's suppressed spectacularly well to bring us up 
yeah and, and it's such a I don't know a selfless way and I, I really admire my parents for the way they did that and I want to be that guy but yeah. I've done seven years living away from my family and to try and keep it going and sometimes I don't know if you have that those moments where you think fuck it I need to get rid of everything and start again and, mm. and bugger off to America and, and yeah, yeah. All, the, all the time you know I, I'm mean? always like I'm always like right I'm going to Denmark <laughs> and I've never even fucking been to Denmark but I've just had it in my head that yeah, that's yeah. a place where it's quite yeah. chill and everyone's into it we'll sell up I've looked online we'll buy, last week it was Portugal my mate drives my missus around the bench and yeah. not this again last week it was Portugal because <laughs> yeah. I noticed loads of people in, yeah. in the media I knew like casually saying oh I live in Portugal now tax, like really casually it's, it's fucking I said what's the ticker it's it tax, I know yeah. that there's something there's too many people moving yeah, in and yeah, yeah it's totally it's taxed so of course I'm straight online <laughs> looking at the fucking oh this place outside Lisbon it's got a pool <laughs> <laughs> do you find I don't know about you but my uh, my mood's also inextricably linked to the failure or success mainly failure of my football team mm. and um, I'm a Hibs fan diehard Hibs fan and much like West Ham it's either do you listen to long bangers I certainly do I've been oh, a regular yeah. on it oh boys. yeah lovely. yeah They're great I love boys. those lads Matty lads. Matty's a regular on, yeah. on the uh, yeah on the back. reset yeah I fucking love those boys but you know Hibs have been shite Scotland continue to let me down and uh I don't know, and I think that's again for most people. The last three years, you could always counterbalance the shite that you had to deal with with mm. a little bit of joy, whether it was a night out, going to the pub, having a carry on, mm. a wee trip away, doing something like that. And when I suddenly realised when all of that shit was removed, I'm quite bad at beating myself up and giving myself a hard time. Yeah, and and I do lean heavily on certain personalities in my life to say fuck's sake go and stop moaning mm. get a grip of yourself look at what you've got you're healthy mm. you know your, your family are happy you've got beautiful kids you don't have any mm. of the arsic a lot of people do and you have to remind yourself of that you have to yeah. it's really important because you know it's like we, we have a general my mate Martin Geisler I was talking about who's a big fan of your podcast he said ominously to me the other day we're in the danger zone between 40 and 60 you get ill you're fucked and I went oh Martin Christ's sake man stop it I've got enough on my fucking plate is it is is. just after hearts had pumped hips 3-0 you know Um, he he thought he was about to say can you do CPR (laughs) (laughs) but it's funny isn't it you need I think it's so important to have that human contact and people you can talk to that can like counterbalance yeah I mean I I always think you need a mix because it's like you know that kind of think how lucky you are is important sometimes Mm. but in other times I think it sort of almost encourages you to feel bad about yourself because you start to think oh you know this phrase first world problems is what discourages a lot of blokes from ever like thinking a bit more sympathetically about themselves and uh, oh yeah and um you know, and so sometimes you you know forget all of that. Sometimes it's good. Someone snaps you out of a bit of where you're being a bit navel gazy, and it's mm. probably healthy. Sometimes you need to go. Yeah, do you know what? It's like, yeah, times are fucking tough, and yeah. yeah so what if I've got a family and a job yeah. and my health? I still it's still okay yeah. because you're a human being, and actually, all the money or success in the world can't incubate you yeah, yeah, from yeah. being a human being with human feelings. Where sometimes you just feel shit about yourself, or you can't face another That's day, so or true. whatever. Yeah. And then you just you, you got to accept that because if you're if you always bounce back to the old, <laughs> oh well, what have I got to be sad about? Look at these other people yeah, who've yeah. got it worse than me. Then you're never going to give yourself any yeah. understanding or care. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's a good point. Have you ever had Owen O'Kane on the podcast? No. He's a really interesting dude. Look him up. He's got two books out, both of them bestsellers. He's from Northern Ireland. He used to be a palliative care nurse. And he's a gay lad from, from Northern Ireland. He said, growing up in the trouble was a gay man. And being a nurse. He said, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's, he's a lovely He's lovely been man. through it. Oh, I love him. Yeah. Again, I'm really interested in a lot of the work that's been done by palliative care doctors because they meet people who are having a really interesting sort of appraisal and understanding of their yeah. lives. Yeah. And it gives you an, a, a, a fantastic viewpoint. It's a doctor, Dr. Elizabeth Ross, and she wrote books about grief and how to handle mm. grief. And they devised this thing called the Kubler-Ross curve, which you can apply to change or grief, right? So the first instinct when something goes wrong or you lose somebody is to be really angry and hit out and be very mm. vengeful and try and blame. And, it, and some people go through the process mm. quite quickly and acutely. Other people, it can take a lifetime. And I, I started looking into it because my wife lost her mum really young. It's so true. You mm. eventually come to a period of acceptance and then you move on and, and you can get on with your life. Mm. And you know, if you apply that to big moments of change in your life, it's also really true. But it, it was devised and created as a result of seeing people at the end of their life. Yeah, it's fascinating. And, and I thought that's, that's a really good perspective to take on things. Yeah, because there's a lot of clarity at that yeah, I often point, find myself it? thinking, how, how big are these problems really in the context mm. of the, the broader picture of your life? Um, yeah. We're almost out of time because... Yeah. Um, yeah, we wasted too much time not recording whilst <laughs> chatting. Uh, where, where are things for you at the moment? Where where are you at? I know you're, you're breakfast TV star now, yeah, well, so that's good. Again, I, I loved doing that, but TV and radio is a taxi rank, isn't it? Somebody's got to get off before yeah. you get on, and I think there are six or seven regular presenters on GMB, mm. of which I'm the, the latest to get on. Mm. But you need somebody to take a holiday or not mm. be well. The same that happened with me with Radio X and my voice. So mm. I'm waiting in the wings, desperate for my chance, champing at the bit to get involved. Mm. Radio 5 Live, same thing. Love doing it. Really enjoyed it. I've done every show pretty much mm. on the network now. and I've got more time booked in on Drive and covering for Tony Livesey and, and those guys. So I'm just waiting in the wings on that. Podcast with Martin Comston from Line of Duty. Yeah, very good. I love him dearly. Love Restless that. Yeah. Which again... It's fantastic, but could sink the ship at any point because it's just turned into clickbait headlines. Yeah, 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 yeah. It might. I mean, I was listening to it earlier and I was saying this is really funny. But um, it's like I do another podcast called Top Flight Time Machine, yeah. which I know has affected... Thank God it makes me money because it's effectively ruled out any serious job ever for the rest of my life. It'd just be like there's too much there now on yeah. fucking record that I've said that I can... Ne- my dreams of one day being Prime Minister are dead in the water. Yeah. But, but you, yeah, there you were know. three things in the last episode that had to be taken out where we had a sensible ear just listened in and said, Gordon, are you sure that it's sensible and <laughs> in light of the work that you're doing for the BBC? Exactly, you yeah. Tell that story about what happened. And I'm like, no, no, it's a great, thank you very much. So the I'm Daily Mail have always got a couple of work experience people with nothing <laughs> yeah. better to do than listen through your podcast. Even now, <laughs> minor monologue saying, don't point them in the direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, so that's all happening. I've, I've got a share of a business called Vinyl Box, which is going great guns. It's a, like a vinyl subscription service where you get records curated for you mm. if you're not a massive crate digger. And I should point out, if you still love going to record shops, which I do, 
keep doing that. Mm. Don't mm. send me messages online saying, how dare you do this, you're killing record stores. No, we're not. We're encouraging people to... It'll get, it, points yeah. you in, it points you back to them. Enjoy the ritual yeah. of finding something even more rare off the back of what we get for you. So I do that. I've, uh, I'm one of the co-founders and ambassadors of Copper Dog Whiskey, which is brilliant because it means I can travel and talk about whiskey and have a carry-on around the world. Did nine right. weeks in America in the last year. Wow. Uh, extolling the virtues of the water of life which is phenomenal so is Martin involved in that as no, well no he's not no no he's not only because when I'm listening to your podcast I keep hearing about you going to these wonderful places and I didn't I didn't know the connection yeah, you had a business yeah. I was thinking are these just non-stop jollies to no, distilleries no no, no it's, it's an amazing experience and there's some funny stuff happened on the road like, and I, I know we're pushed with time I'll tell you some great stories but by the way what an incredible experience to go New York Austin, Texas, Houston, Atlanta, Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, to Denver, Colorado, Denver, Colorado, to LA, LA to Chicago, and right. back. So I got to see America properly. Wow. And you really understand the country when you, you see it with your own eyes and, and live in it for that length of time. Yeah. So that's going great guns. And um, yeah, I'm just, I still do a wee bit of helping folk out who are finding themselves in sticky spots with the newspapers and mm. give them a bit of wise counsel in the rear, or maybe not. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, just, I love podcasts, so I'm, I'm yeah. always. I love another subscription that I don't need. Was yeah. it? And our mutual friend said he sometimes has a code for people. <laughs> My payment for today can be <laughs> a free subscription. <laughs> yeah. I see the capitalism. Oh, I can't um, believe she revealed really. the secret code. It's like the Nando. It's like the <laughs> Nando's black, black card, card isn't Wait. it? When I got that taken off me, it was the hardest thing. I never fucking got one. No. I never got one, and that ultimately is why I walked away from showbiz journalism. Because <laughs> I thought, well, it's I just know. not worth it. Mate, it was the greatest <laughs> gift ever. And apparently devised by Andy Peters. Really? Fucking hell. You, you, anything, in the end, if you look deep enough, it all comes back to the brain of Andy Peters. Yeah. Uh, oh, mate, it's a real, real pleasure. Uh, thanks so much. Lovely to meet you at last, and, and all the best in future, and we'll keep an eye out for uh, you, you over our breakfast porridge, mate. And to finish, can we arrange a night out where I take you out with Frank McAvenny? Fucking hell, yes, I would love that. I do have a couple of Frank McAvenny experiences, oh, yes. but that's for another day. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Cheers. That was Gordon Smart, a big character, a funny guy, but intelligent and sensitive with it. It was a pleasure to get to know him a bit better. Check out his Restless Natives podcast. It's hilarious. Also, remember to order my book, Sort Your Head Out, which is published on February the 9th. And like this podcast, is kind of a non-bollocks guide to mental health. And if you like the reset, then please consider becoming a subscriber at samdelaney.substat.com. You can get bonus pod episodes and regular newsletters from me. Until next time, gang, thanks for listening. Be lucky and don't let the dickheads get you down.